If you got a Bible, and I hope you do, go to John chapter 14 with me this morning. John chapter 14. It's kind of a neat time for us. As you heard David pray, we are praying for some families that are hurting. We are praising God with some families that have enjoyed wonderful blessings this week. We've had some weddings that have happened, some weddings that are going to happen, different things that folks have walked through. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and of course, we weep with those who weep. And then there's all the emotions that come in between that, and that's what we're going to find in our passage today in John chapter 14. For those of you that are here, maybe you're visiting or you're visiting online, you're just checking us out. I've been preaching through the gospel according to John, and I've labeled this series Conversations with Christ. And the reason I do that is because the book of John is basically the apostle recording specific events that Jesus either said or did, but he shapes those events and statements around conversations that Jesus has with either individuals or a group of people or a large crowd of people. And today I want to drive home this point out of John chapter 14, verses 7 to 14, which is if you want to see God, you need to look to Jesus. So let's bring this down to something, and I'm, I'm wondering if you'll be honest wherever you are, both here and online, on this first half or the beginning, the second half of our long holiday weekend. Have you ever thought this statement? I just wish I could see God. I just wish I could see him. I just wish I could have experienced one of his miracles. I had been there. I could have witnessed it. I've had the privilege of going to Israel four different times, and every time I've been there, I've learned new things, and I've had the joy of being there, but every single time I've been there, and I have visited sites where my Bible comes to life, I have found myself wanting to go back in time 2,000 years and being there, being an eyewitness, hearing it, being able to touch it. Have you ever thought that, you know, I just wish I could walk and talk with Jesus just for a few minutes. I I just wish I could have seen that miracle. Maybe you have argued within yourself, how can I know God? Now, be honest. For those of you gathered here with me and those of you that are tuned in online, How many of you have thought some form of those thoughts or wished that? And the funny thing is, as you've taken your Bible and gone to John chapter 14, John the apostle, John the disciple, actually seems to believe that if you will read his biography of Jesus, John chapter 1 through 24, that you will actually come to the conclusion that by reading you will actually see God and know God. If you want my point, you don't have to turn there, but after he writes his gospel, when he gets to the summary of it, in John chapter 20, verse 30, listen to what John says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of those disciples, watch this now, which are not written in this book. So written means words on a page. John's saying, I I only picked out seven Events. I've only picked out seven statements. A bunch of stuff is not written in this book, but these are written, and by virtue of that must mean written so that you can read, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and here's the result of that, that by believing you may have life in his name. So when I say to you to see God, you need to look to Jesus. John the Apostle, even though you and I wrestle with I wish I could see him, hear him, touch him, feel him. John seems to say, if you want to see God, you need to look to Jesus. And if you want to look to Jesus, you've got to look to his word. So let me read this passage for you. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 7, where Jesus is cluing up his response to Thomas in verse 5, when Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. You know, how can we know the way? And so then Jesus says in verse 7, If you had known me, Thomas, you would have known my father also. From now on, 
you do know him and have seen him. And then in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father, Father God, who dwells in me, does his works. So basically now, Philip, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, Jesus changes gears and addresses everyone. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, plural, the 11, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he or she do. Because... I am going to the Father. Now, because of that, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, summary, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So here is John the Apostle saying, if you want to see God, you need to look to Jesus. And if you want to see Jesus, you need to look to his word. And yet, you and I deal with the reality of, the emotions of, the desires, the longings. I wish I could see God. I wish I could touch him. I wish I could hear him speak to me the way these guys. I get it, I'm reading it, but oh man, what it would have been like to listen to Jesus say these things. So is John right or wrong? You've got his words against our Feelings, Because I believe everybody here and online at some point has desired, maybe even right now, you're desiring to know, is God real? Does God really hear me when I pray? Does God really work in my life? Is God really working in the lives? We, we just heard David pray for the Anderson family. And for the Mercer family. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? Of all of you in here, if we all had to share our requests and what you all know about each other. And you wonder, I'm praying, but does God hear me when I pray? I mean, think about what it is to be in May 23rd of 2021. I just read some statistics in some popular magazines that said mental fatigue Social anxiety are at an all-time high. And that is so amazing to me because we've never had more social media connection. If you think about all the platforms of texting and cell phones and email, then you've got Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. We have all of these ways to be plugged in and connected. And yet the world says we are having a pandemic of actually loneliness and isolation friendlessness in a world where we have thousands of friends or tens of thousands of followers. Couple this with the truth that for many of us, we don't even know who or what to believe in the world anymore. Social media, for all of its blessings, its number one curse is that it's created an absolute black hole for truth. Bottom line is, whatever opinion you have, or whatever thing you're trying to find, social media will give you a myriad of opinions and then tell you categorically that that opinion is fact. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so we find truth almost impossible to ascertain. So what do we do? The result is we end up huddling up even more. Or you put yourself only in your own little cocoon with your own little safe batch of little friends that tell you that that is truth so you can feel safe and secure. And yet, everybody in this room and online, we long for friendships, and we long for relationships. 
We want to know that we are safe. If you're being honest, many of us in this room and online right now would like to believe on some level we're in control. I control my life. I can control my body. I can control my future, my career. I can control my spouse or my kids. I can control the outcome at my workplace. We just want to, if I think we were being honest, if I could get alone with all of you and do that psychological thing where put you on a couch and just tell me your innermost desires. I think many of you would probably say something like, I just wish I could live my life and be happy, have a little bit of fun along the way, and just not hurt anybody, but have some meaning and some purpose. And so I believe with those desires that it's normal, dare I say for some of you even this morning, to be okay with, it's natural that we long to see God, that you want to hear God speak to you, that you would in some small way, maybe not in all of it, but you'd like to know the future. What will my marriage turn out like? What will my kids turn out like? Will dad and mom live to a certain age? How will this end? How will that end? I think that's why so many people love this old hymn. One of these other hymns that we often hear at funerals that I don't think we ever actually engage our mind as to what we like about it. Remember this one? And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Now, is that a hymn of the writer longing for something they're never going to get? Or is that the hymn writer telling us there's a way to know God that seems that real, that intimate, while you can't actually physically see him with your eyes or physically hear him with your ears. You see, John says that if you want to see God, look to Jesus. And how do you look to Jesus? You read his word to know God, to believe that Jesus is God. So what we've read and believed, we will know and we will have life. And yet... Once again comes the flesh. I long for sight. Haven't we learned this in the pandemic? Is there one thing that's taught us? Is that you can Zoom all you want, but Zoom meetings don't replace actually being in the same room with somebody. Have you learned that? You can FaceTime till the dogs come home. But the reality is, while I appreciate the technology of those gathered here and online, the truth of the matter is, I feel far more connected with the human beings I'm seeing right here in front of me in this room than all the human beings that are watching us online, even though I'm so appreciative of it, and I would never stop doing it. But we all know the difference between real human interaction and virtual interaction. Now, I think for many of us, we tend to struggle thinking that our spiritual life with Christ is almost virtual, but we wish it could be literal. And John wants you and I to know in this passage what Jesus has just been saying to Thomas and Philip is no, there's a way for you to know just how literal your relationship with Jesus is even while you live in what you think and humanly think is a virtual world. You see, we know that it's there, and yet we really sometimes have this nagging doubt. Is God really out there? And you know what? You're not alone. There are some famous men and women that have struggled with this and come to tragic conclusions. Many of you know the name Billy Graham. But I don't know how many of you know what was considered, who was considered the Billy Graham of Canada was a gentleman by the name of William Templeton. William Templeton was a very close friend of Billy Graham. William Templeton went across Canada doing crusades, and literally, they say, tens of thousands of men and women made professions of faith to Jesus based on those crusades. And yet, later in his life, William Templeton said, I no longer believe in the existence of God. And then in the modern era, a friend that I have, 
a friend that many of you know. He's a close personal friend of myself and my wife, Debbie, him and his wife, is a gentleman by the name of Josh Harris, who wrote a very famous dating book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Josh and his wife were in our home. We've done a lot of things with them. We would count them friends. And then all of a sudden, Josh had a crisis of faith and now lives out in Vancouver. And Josh would say he no longer believes in the existence of God. And yet, both William Templeton and Josh Harris, separated by almost 50 years, have said the very same thing when asked, how do you live your life now that you've decided that God isn't real or you can't know God? And they both, one said it and then Josh quoted the other one said, I still pray, I don't know why, but if God is out there, I miss him. You see, this is the issue we all have. What are we going to do with these two tensions? The fact that I want to believe that God is out there. I want to know God. And yet this human longing to say, I need to see him. I need to touch him. I need to hear from him. Well, if you're asking that, I'm glad you asked. Because John chapter 14, 7 to 14 gives us an answer. Jesus says, yes, look, John who was there in this passage... John who was writing this, he was there, physically there. John who also had doubts. John who was part of the questions that are in this passage from Thomas and Philip. He quotes Jesus, and he wants you and I to know, look, when we were struggling, and he was right in front of us, when we wanted to know if God was real and if Jesus was God, and he was right there, Jesus pushed back against what we thought is the proof we needed, and he pointed us to what will truly calm our troubled hearts. He pointed us that were truly what would give us purpose and courage and confidence and hope as we navigate our everyday lives. And it really is quite simple, friends. Because when and if you and I will, like John, like the other disciples, are you ready? Trust Jesus' words here in this passage. You're not only going to find calmness for your soul, you'll find calmness for your mind. You'll find peace for your heart. But you know what's more from the youngest of you to the oldest? You will also find out what your mission is, what your purpose for life is. It will help you, Christians, know how your commission is fueled and empowered and a part of how we come to know God and trust him. So very quickly this morning, I really think this passage breaks into two parts. All right. I have claimed that if you want to see God or you want to know God, you must look to Jesus. Well, what do we need to see and believe today if we want to do that? Okay, here's it is. Number one, by looking to Jesus, you will see the work of God the Father. If you look to Jesus, now let's try and get this passage and break it down step by step, all right? Look at verse 7. Verse 7 is Jesus concluding his remarks to Thomas. He has just simply f finished saying, all right, remember, I'm leaving. You're going to face betrayals. You're going to feel alone. You're going to feel weak. And then he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Right? I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm coming back for you. And Thomas like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know? And then this is verse 7. It's Jesus cluing up his remarks to that. And in verse 7, if you notice it, Jesus actually makes an invitation and a promise. He makes an invitation and a promise. The way that Thomas and the other ten will know God as Father in the future is directly linked to how they now know Jesus in the present. In other words, the first thing Jesus says is stop thinking about tomorrow and start living in today. Now, how many of you have this week worried about tomorrow while even trying to get today over with? Think about it. Think about how many times you do that, how many times I do it. You long for something. Some of you, right, have just gotten married or celebrated marriage. Some of you are looking forward. Your marriage is coming up. How many times have you thought about the marriage in the future instead of living for today? 
And we do that, right? For young people, it could be graduating from your grade or getting your driver's license or graduating from university. It could be your marriage or having children. It could be when your kids get to walk or talk or go to kindergarten or graduate from junior high. Do you find how much we are always longing for the future while trying to just survive today? And then we wonder, how come I can't know and see God? Why don't I know this? And I love this. He goes, the word. Now, I want you to see this because in the ESV, the wording of the beginning of verse 7 might lead you to think that Jesus is doubting whether Thomas and the disciples even believe in Jesus, right? Verse 7, if you had known me, Thomas and guys, you would have known that, that I am the Father, right? That doesn't fit the narrative, though, does it, to the whole passage? If you remember back to chapter 13, Judas is now left to betray Jesus. Jesus has just told them that he loves them. He's just told them that, uh, how to have a calm heart. He's just told them and left them with a commandment to love as Christ has loved them. Rather, this verse should be seen the way you see verse 1 of chapter 14. Since you have known me, Thomas, you actually do know God as Father. Okay, Richard Phillip makes this very practical. He says, not only does this scene connect with experiences that many of us have had, it more generally addresses the situation of all Christians in this current age. You see, Jesus was preparing his disciples for that time when he would no longer be physically with them. He is hours, 12 to 16 hours away from his death and then days away from his resurrection and about a month, a little over a month away from his ascension into heaven. And this is the very time in which we experience our entire Christian lives. Every one of you here have come to faith. If you say, I believe in Jesus, I trust in Jesus, you came to Jesus through God's word. Every one of your testimonies would be, I was in church and I heard a sermon or my mom or dad in devotions or told me or I read a track or I read a book or someone discipled me or someone answered my questions. Someone, the one thing we all have in common is somehow we were pointed to God, yet none of us has seen God, spoke to God or had God touch us like what we have read about. And so we will struggle. Yet not only have we never seen God, we have never seen Jesus We've never heard his human voice in our ears. And so God the Father and Jesus are in heaven. Amen? All right, just checking to see if you're all still awake. But God the Father and Jesus are in heaven. And that does seem very distant from us, doesn't it? Have you ever thought about how far is heaven from here? So... Let's be honest, we do need a way to experience the presence of Jesus and God the Father. And by the way, when you want to know, how do I experience God? How do I know Jesus when I'm here and Jesus is in heaven? John chapter 14, 15, and 16 answers that question. That's what you get here. J.C. Ryle, the old Anglican minister said, the meaning seems to be, in verse 7, Thomas and guys, if you had rightly, properly, and perfectly known me as the divine Messiah in all the fullness of my nature, you would have known more of that Father to whom I am, and he is me. No one can rightly know Jesus without knowing God because the Father and Jesus are one. And notice the next half of that verse. From now on. Remember I told you it was an invitation and a promise. From now on. Now don't forget that Jesus has just said, I'm leaving you. Judas is betraying. You're all going to fail. Oh, and don't let your hearts be troubled. Right? So think about it, right? Like if I came to you and said, your marriage is going to struggle in 2021, the second half. Your kids are going to rebel. Your parents are going to get ill. Don't worry about it. Not, no one is getting on Facebook going, what a great pastor I got. Right? You're all going to talk to your friends and go, something's wrong with Steve. Okay? This is what Jesus does. And then he says in verse 7, from now on. It means... Because the word has become flesh. Now, I love this. So John, the apostle, who is writing this, 
writes this from his, from, for us to see his walking through it. But do you remember what this same John wrote in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18? That's the introduction to the gospel. And the word became flesh, Jesus became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glorious the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John the Baptist bore witness of this. Now, I love how he says this. For from his, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And then John the, ba John the Apostle says, For the law was given through Moses, that's true, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. And then he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God. But then he finishes that, who is at the Father's side? He, Jesus, has made him known. So John the Apostle is tipping his hand. He goes, I want you to know how to see Jesus. Because the way you see Jesus is how you see God. And I tell you this because I once had struggles seeing Jesus and seeing God. And then I figured out that no one has seen God, but if you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. And so he's encouraging you and I, if you hear from Jesus, you've heard from God. Leon Moore says, they had known him well enough to leave their homes and families and livelihood to follow him wherever he went. But they did not know him in his full significance. And it is one of my worries for the people I'm looking at here and some of you that are tuned in online. I fear that for many of you, you are generationally Christian, and dare I say, forgive me, generationally Baptist. And you think, you practice this, you know God enough to say, I come to church and I serve God and I give a little money and I do a little bit of community, but do you know him enough to know the full significance of who Jesus Christ is and how you can know God when you're dealing with all of the junk that we deal with in our lives? When you are fighting for the very souls of your children, or you're fighting for the survival of your marriage, or you're fighting for relationships with your siblings, or you're trying to heal a relationship that's been broken with a parent, or you're struggling to forgive someone who has harmed you terribly, or you have disagreed with, or you're struggling with God's timing because you were just diagnosed with an incurable disease, or you have to walk through something with someone that you never thought was going to happen. Do you now know the full significance of Jesus Christ? Where you can say, I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wild seas no more. The tempest may come, but I've anchored my soul to Jesus. How about it? You see, they didn't know, at least not yet, in fact, here's what I think they were lacking. And it's what I wonder if we're lacking. It's called spiritual discernment. We got a head full of the Bible. But do you know what to do with it? Do you know how to apply it? Do you know how to live your everyday life with it? Jesus is letting them know, I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'm going to ascend into the glories of heaven, and I'm going to sit down at the right hand of God the Father, and next week we're going to learn, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and this is what will happen. You will learn how to get discernment. You read about it in Galatians, and Ephesians, and Philippians, and Colossians, and First and Second Peter, and all these things about knowing what you have in Christ, what you have in this book. You see, knowing and trusting Jesus, understanding your life and making sense of your circumstances, knowing how to handle your trials and struggles and defeats and frustrations, they're all going to be big. From the littlest things to the biggest things. I spent days over the past week praying for someone who was struggling with whether or not life was worth living. And it was a big thing for me to have to deal with and go to God with. And then the dishwasher at our house died. And we got a new one and had it installed for six days. And then it died. And I cried out, oh God, where are you? <laughs> because in the moment, a brand new dead dishwasher felt like, where's God? 
You can giggle all you want, but you know you felt it too. A flat tire, lost keys, a failed course, a date that you were going to keep and then somebody broke it off with you, or a friend that didn't live up to their promises. All of these things we struggle with, but the only way you're going to overcome these is directly connected to your trust and discernment and understanding of how the gospel, Jesus Christ, affects you now and into eternity. And that's why Paul told the Ephesians that he was praying for them to know the height and the width and the depth and the, and the, and the strength and power of the love of God. This is why he does it. Now, though, look at verse 8, because now Philip gets involved. So Jesus finishes up, and then Philip says... Hey, Lord, I, I just have one question. Show us the Father and it is enough for us. I, I love this question. All right, Jesus, listen. Tommy over here, he's the doubter. Look, he's always asking you stuff that we all know he's an idiot for asking. I'll ask the question that should be asked. I'll tell you what. Just show us the Father and that'll be enough. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I love this. Because no doubt he has seen the other questions. He understands the circumstances. And his question does come out of the circumstances. There's no doubt about that. And then notice he had just finished challenging Thomas. If you know me, you know God. So Philip decides to change it up. I won't ask how. Instead, I'll ask for a display. It's as if Philip says, Jesus, we've seen some fantastic things. I would never doubt that. You turned water into wine. Nobody else ever did that. You fed 5,000. I ate some of the food. It was amazing. You walked on water. Even Pete got out and walked on the water with you. And I know, I've read my Bible, the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament people and kings would have longed to have experienced what me and the boys have experienced. Angels would look into these things. But I tell you what, just, just give me one more thing. Would you just peel back the veil and let me see or let us see the face of God? Now, now be honest. Can you relate to Philip? Would you not like to be able to go, God, tonight, would you just come to me like you did to Solomon? Could, could I have a Mount Transfiguration moment? I'd even settle for Elijah in a mountain in a cave, tired and discouraged and depressed, and just put on a show, lightning, thunder, shaking, and then whisper to me in the still small voice. Have you, have you not? Listen, guys, I'm not ashamed to tell you. I have sat on my back deck alone and strained to go, God, just talk to me. And wonder if he will. Have you ever done that? Have you ever longed for it? Some of you are brave enough to shake your head. God bless you for doing that, all right? Because you're not nuts, all right? I want you to know that, okay? I want you to realize this. This is what Philip's doing. And I've tried to think about this question. When Philip was really asking, what is he really asking? Why is he asking this? You see, Philip's not asking for more miracles. He wants to see that Jesus is God. And there could be a couple of reasons. Maybe Phil got up that morning and he had his early morning devotions and he was reading the Torah and he was reading Exodus 33 when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and remember, he went to God, show me your glory. You remember what happened? And he said, you can't see God and live. So he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and the Shekinah glory of God passes by and Moses perks out, peeks out just as the, the backside of the glory of God. And what happened to Moses? He became a human nightlight for days. His face glowed. It wigged people out. He put a bag over his head. Just so you understand what happened, all right? Maybe Phil was thinking that way. Lord, just show us what Moses saw. I also wonder if Philip was longing for what Peter, James, and John had a front row seat to. Do you remember that? Do you remember back in Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus takes them up there, and after six days, Matthew says... He took them up there and he led them to a high mountain and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light and everybody freaked out. Peter wanted to build temples. God speaks from heaven. They all fall on their faces. God tells them to stand up but when they're coming down from the mountain, God says, listen, 
Don't tell anybody about what you saw until after the Son of Man rises from the dead. Now, I don't know if they kept it quiet, but here's what I do know. The boys had problems keeping stuff quiet. And I can't help but wonder, with a bit of creative license, were the boys sitting around the campfire and Jesus was asleep and Peter and he, boys, guess what happened up on that hill? Because they were always one up on each other. They were always arguing over who was the best. And so as Philip finally going, listen, I'm out in the boys. Jesus, look, just show us what Peter, James, and John saw. And I can't help but wonder. And listen, have you not read your Bible and read that and said, wish I could have been there? Wish I could have seen that? I wish I knew God like that. Man, I tell you, I would face my struggles way differently if I could see Jesus as God. If I could just hear him talk to me. If I could just know how this was all going to play out. But you'll notice in verses 9 and 10 how Jesus responds to Philip. In some cases, as you look at it, look at what Jesus said to him. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? It's almost like he says, really, Phil? Really? This is your question. You've been with me. Realize they've just come off of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. He's been dead for four days. He's buried. All right? And Philip was there when God said, Lazarus, come forth. And Phil goes to Jesus and says, I just need more proof that you're God. See, I, I, I know, I find it funny, and I, I do, but this is why I love my Bible, because I can put myself there. I have seen God do so many wonderful things in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in churches that I've pastored, in this church. Some of you are sitting here, and you're living miracles of the power and presence of God, and yet, I will tell you, when Debbie texted me and said the dishwasher was dead, I was like, God, where are you? Or I can be praying and thanking the Lord and hear singing and then get an email or a text and someone says, Pastor, I don't like this and I don't like you and I don't like the church and I don't like... And then I'm like, why, why be a pastor anymore? Lord, where are you? Would you take care of them for me? I love you. I just can't stand any of the people I have to pastor. Now, some of you are going, was that me? <laughs> All that is to say is this is how fickle we are, how weak we are. But if you'll notice, very quickly here, I want to wrap this up. Jesus asks, actually asks Philip three questions. Notice in the text. Have I been with you this long, Peter, and you don't know me? And then he says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the words of the Father is in me? And then he says, how can you say, show us the Father? Three questions he asks them, but in the midst of those three questions, he gives two amazing statements. Do you notice what he does? Notice in verse 9 he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And then look at the last of verse 10. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Now watch and listen. But the Father, look at the end of verse 10, who dwells in me. Now stop and look at your Bibles. Now, but the Father who dwells in me, stop. How would you finish that statement or you expect Jesus to? Do you think, if you were reading this, because he says to me, you know, whatever you've heard me say, God has said, I'm in the Father, wouldn't you expect him to go? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but rather God who is now speaking on my behalf. Right? But notice what he says. Jesus says that the word he speaks displays what? The what? Somebody's got a Bible open. Tell me what it says. The what? It's a W word. Works. Say it. Yell it. Works. The works of God. He says, the words that I speak display the works of God. He didn't say the words that I speak display the words of God. So what's he saying? God works through Jesus Words. 
God wants to tell us what God is like because he knows how prone we are to make God in our own image. And that's why we believe. And so how do you figure out who God is and how God works? You ready? I've been studying all week. Ta-da! It's that simple. It really is this simple. Stop making it more complicated than it needs to be. If you want to know God, if you want to know Jesus, this is why at this church we believe in something called sola scriptura. It means scripture alone, final authority. This is why I believe that this from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22 is the word of God. It doesn't contain the word of God. It is God's word. If you want to know God, if you want to know how to live, if you want to know how to face reality, if you want to know what to do with your life, get into this book. This is our problem. This is why Jesus finishes up with what he does in verse 11. He basically says in verse 11 what he began with in verse 1. Look, trust me, believe in me as you would God as the means to calm your heart. And yes, you'll see your rest. Yes, you'll see your source of comfort and courage. But guess what? I love this. Because he says, and if you don't believe my words, then look at my works. Which very quickly leads me to my second point. And this is what I want you to leave here. See, by looking to Jesus, you not only see God, but by looking to Jesus, you'll see how you're commissioned to do the work of God the Father. This is what you'll see in verses 11 through 14. I'm not sure if in these verses, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he or she do. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Could there be three nicer verses in all the Bible? Verses with more hope, more joy, more honor, more promise than these? Can you imagine what it would have felt like to Thomas and Philip and the other guys as they heard Jesus say this, these 11 weak and confused and troubled disciples, to hear Jesus say, listen, I'm going to use you and you're going to do greater things than you've seen me do. Oh, and by the way, and whatever you ask me in my name, I will do it for you guys. The reason I told you, you will face betrayal. The reason I'm leaving, the reason you're going to be weak is because you're going to do greater things. Because through the cross and through my resurrection and through my ascension is the key to the glory. See, after challenging them to find faith, Jesus now shows them the potential of faith to change their lives and the world around them. This is what you need to re realize. In verses 12 to 14, it bears directly on your life and our life together in these days of 2021. And might I say these exciting days. Yes, I said exciting days. And I know we've got challenges here at Calvary Baptist and in St. John's, Newfoundland and in Canada in 2021. We've got personal challenges and marriage challenges and family ones and relationship ones. We've got Calvary Baptist challenges. We're still renting this facility. We want to build a building, but now a piece of two by four is the cost of a kidney. So those are challenges, right? How are we going to build a building now? The cost of that building in 2019 is probably 50% greater today. But we're going to do greater works than Jesus did. And whatever we ask in his name, he's going to do it. So does that mean we've got to name it and claim it? Hmm. Right? I love this. He's saying to them, look. These verses tell us not only how to see God and know him, but they tell us how seeing God and knowing him are going to change our lives and those around us. What they say is this, that all of us who believe, because notice it says anyone who believes, anyone who believes, you move from illuminating faith to appropriating faith. It makes it practical. 
when you believe in Jesus, and this makes me smile, because here they are, they're tired, misunderstanding, Judas is missing, they're all going to face weaknesses in ways they never thought possible, hours from now they're going to run away, hide, doubt their purpose, their lives, and well, even their Savior, and yet Jesus is here saying to them, you're going to do greater works than me. I love this. You know what he's saying? How do you do greater works than Jesus? You ready for this? Again, this is profound. You basically are normal, everyday Christians. Whoever believes in me. Do you know how many times Jesus said this in just this gospel? In John chapter 6, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John chapter 7, whoever believes in me, out of his or her heart will flow rivers of living water. In John chapter 11, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Whoever believes in me, John 14, will not remain in darkness. So what are these greater works? Well, you've got to realize the connection between verse 11 and verse 12. John Piper is great here. He says this, believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So the word believe and works occur both in verse 11 and in verse 12. So Jesus' works are designed to help people believe, right? So believe on account of the works. If my verbal testimony is leaving doubts in your mind about who I am, look at my works. Let the works join with my words and lead you to faith. So then he turns around in verse 12 and he says, listen, guys, truly, truly, I say unto you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So you put 11 and 12 together and let them function of the works be the same in both verses. So in verse 12, when you believe in me, I will work in you and, the, and your works like mine will lead people to faith. So when we say we believe in Jesus and then we act like we believe Jesus, that shows people Jesus. And guess what? When you say you believe in Jesus and you act like you believe in Jesus, here's a newsflash. You'll start to see Jesus. That's why he says what he does at the end of John 13. A new commandment I leave you with you that you love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. And what does he say at the end? By this, all men will know that what? You're my disciples. How? By your love for one another. And you know why I love this? Is because Jesus sees potential in us even when we don't see it in ourselves. Jesus tells a bunch of cowards, you're going to do greater works than me. Just like back in Judges chapter 6 when Gideon, remember Gideon? That little fellow back in the Old Testament was such a coward he's hidden in a wine press trying to thresh wheat. Go study that and you'll figure out what a dumb, dumb idea that is. And the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and he says, Hey, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon hasn't done anything. Because God knows what he can do in you and I. God has a plan. And you'll notice at the end of this, we'll have access in prayer to Jesus today so that everything we need, we can ask for and receive it. So this is not prosperity gospel, because you'll notice the key is, whatever you ask in my name, and I want to finish with this, all right? Basically, Jesus is making this bold and assuring promise that as you face your day today, everything that you need to get you through today, I will give it to you. So he promises, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Grant Osborne says, what does that mean then? Does it mean I can ask for anything? All right, well, Jesus, Mercedes-Benz, please. Or I would like a McMansion. All right, the next time that the McDonald's game comes out, I want to get Park Place and Boardwalk and win whatever that prize is. Some of you might be like, I would like to be an NBA star. Or I would like to play for the Leafs so they'll finally win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> Someone just said no. All right. However, to assume that we can get anything we want through prayer is not just wrong, it's exceedingly dangerous. And this is the problem with prosperity theology. It's a worldly approach to life under the guise of prayer power. If prosperity preachers, if what they say is true, then we, and not God, would be in control. Because it becomes that God is simply a puppet to every one of our whims in prayer. And can I tell you, friends, 
This is a movement that has rocked St. John's and Newfoundland. And if we do anything at Calvary, we need to make sure people understand that's not the truth. What might surprise you is how many times Jesus and the apostles talk about prayer and requesting things of God and how we get the answers. Matthew, Mark, James, John, 1 John, all talk about asking whatever you want in my name. And that is for God's fame, not ours. Because of God's divine worth, God's infinite payment on the cross, according to his sovereign will. And for parents, I want you to realize why it's so important that we say, in Jesus' name. Because that doesn't mean how we end a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, look at your New Testament. You won't find it there. you got to realize, when Jesus says this, in the Old, Old and New Testament, when parents chose a name for their child, it was kind of a prophecy for the kind of person they wanted their child to become. That's why the angel tells Mary in Matthew chapter 1, give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. So when you and I pray in Jesus' name, it means we're praying in union with who and what Jesus is. We want to pray in accordance with Jesus' will. So self-centered prayers are not going to be answered prayers. But every prayer prayed in Jesus' name. So by the way, prayer is not describing as, as, as accessing God. Prayer is your being accessed by God. It's not about requesting. It's about submitting. Prayer is the primary way that Christians participate in the work of God. And so what are you supposed to take away from this? John chapter 7, verses 7 to 14, basically tell this. You want to see God? Read his word. If you want to see God work, share his word. And then watch him work. So here's the rub. Are you living in the reality of that truth? Or are you still struggling and longing for God, but in all the wrong places with all the wrong expectations? Tim Keller said, trusting Jesus is accepting what God sends into your life, whether you understand it or not. Take that home with you today. And if you want to see God, get into this book. If you want to see God work, share what's in this book with others. And you will see lives changed, starting with yours. This is the word of God from God to you and I. Let's pray. Father God, I needed this. A dishwasher taught me how weak I am. And your word taught me how strong you are. Your word teaches me that there's hope in the midst of COVID. Your word gives me hope that marriages can be saved or strengthened. Your word helps me believe that a child's life is never written until you're finished. Your word teaches me that churches only grow because you do stuff through the power of your word. And men and women only get saved when they hear the word of God. And lives and friendships are transformed and strengthened. It's your word that tells me that no matter how bad this world gets, you're still in control. So Lord, I pray for every man and woman here. And if anyone doesn't know you, that they would realize that the only way to know you is through your word. And Father, help the Christians here. Help us at Calvary Baptist to know that if we want the world, if we want St. John's, Kilbride, Shea Heights, downtown, paradise, rabbit town, to know the God of the universe, we need them to know the God of the word and the Bible and see it lived out in our lives. So Lord, go with me and go with us. Help us not to be distracted by Satan, thinking you're holding out on us because we've never physically heard you or touched you. But to believe that when we read your word and we pray to you, you physically reach out to us and we experience you through the presence of your spirit. And may that both calm us and drive us. In Jesus' name.